Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. If we think about God as the I am, and one of the things that always happens is that when we understand who God is, it determines our whole lives. It determines the rest of our lives. And yet something is always narrating our lives. In this world, most of the time, a false narrative is screaming at me for uh, to, to find my life that way, to, to narrate my life. So one of the benefits for me of, of taking time to worship the I am, taking time to worship God one of the things that happens, one of the big things that happens in that time is I, I re-narrate my life back to what I believe is true, the true story that my life is in. It's one of the benefits of having worship that is guided by the Bible, praising God, worshiping God through Scripture, praying to God through Scripture brings the true narrative into a deeper part of our soul and it empowers us to live inside the real story that our life is in. That's why I don't do well personally when I get away from daily worship, when I get away from praying as worship, when I get away from letting the scriptures, letting the Bible keep me in the right narrative, I end up drifting toward the wrong narrative. And Psalm 101 is an important psalm to worship God with. It's a little different than a lot of the other psalms that we have looked at. And it's a good follow-up to our last three episodes on looking at God proclaiming his name in the book of Exodus. Because what it is, is it allows us to take some of the things that God emphasizes when God proclaims his name, and he proclaims that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And we see the two aspects of God's infinite mercy and infinite love and infinite compassion, infinite grace, and yet at the same time, his infinite justice and the tension between those two. Remember, Jesus said in his resurrection body, he said in Luke twenty four forty four, it says, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. It's interesting because what Jesus is saying there is that the Psalms are pointing us to Jesus in some way, and everything written about Jesus in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything written about Jesus in the books of Moses, which is what we looked at when we looked at Exodus, must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying he's in all these books, and they're all pointing to him. And so I think Psalm 101 is one of those psalms that uniquely is pointing to Jesus. And this is sometimes a key, is when you see the little subscript under a psalm, it gives a description of the psalm, and this one says it's a psalm of David. Now, these little subscripts are very ancient. We don't quite know when they were added to the Psalms, but they are before any published scripture we have in antiquity. So they're very, very old, probably by the original editor of the Psalms. This is a Psalm of David. And when we read a Psalm of David, a lot of times we should expect to see some sort of 
prophecy, so to speak, of what is going to be true of Jesus, because David is the king who points to the Messiah. He's a type of Christ. He's in some ways an imperfect example of what Jesus is going to be as the ultimate Messiah. And this is one of those Psalms where David speaks, I think, in a prophetic way. I think it's one of those Psalms that Jesus may have pointed out, everything must be fulfilled, that is written about him in the Psalms. It's interesting because when Jesus says that in Luke 24, the next verse, verse 45 says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, that's a really interesting verse because what it shows you is that there's something about the Bible that is supernatural. Now, all the Bible is supernatural, not just in the way it was written, but how we understand it. We can come to the Bible with minds that are not opened by God, and therefore we're going to not quite understand the power of what we're reading. Anytime we come to God in prayer, anytime we come to God using Scripture or reading Scripture, I think a good prayer to pray is God, open my eyes by your Holy Spirit. Open my mind so that I can understand your scriptures. So I'll pray that right now since I said it. God, I pray that you would open up our minds, all those who listen now, that you would open my mind as I speak about your word, that you would open up the mind of those who hear your words episode, and that you would enable us to see what your spirit wants to show us. So verse 1, this Psalm of David is, is starting off the psalm, and I think we see this bigger story that our life is in. When I see the bigger story, it helps me re-narrate my life inside that bigger story. Verse 1, David says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Yahweh, O Lord. I will make music. Now, here's, I think, a good coming out of the verses we looked at in Exodus 34. We looked at God's steadfast love and his justice. And that's what David is pointing to here now. His, both of what our salvation are all about is God's infinite love and his infinite justice. He's going to remove all suffering from the world when Christ comes back, when the Messiah comes back and establishes his eternal kingdom. So David is reminding himself in worship, I'm going to sing of God's steadfast love, and I'm going to sing of his justice. Verse 2, oh, when will you come to me? So this is the idea that, that the Messiah comes to us. We don't, I mean, we come to him, right? But ultimately, heaven comes back to earth. It's not the narrative of us dying and going to heaven. The narrative of the Bible is steadfast love and justice are coming back to the earth through the Messiah. And so he says in verse 2, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So here's David's commitment to integrity because of the character of the I am. The character of God is one of steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness and justice. So David is saying, I want to walk with integrity in my heart. I don't want to just go through the outer motions. I want who I am in my house when I'm alone and nobody is watching. I want that to be the real person who's committed to integrity. I want who I am with my family and nobody else is watching. 
I want that to be my best self. I want to be the best self with my family. I want to be my best self when I'm with my spouse. I want to be my best self when I'm alone in my house. And so I'm committing to set no worthless thing before my eyes. Now, we know that the brain particularly wires on things that we say and things that we see and things that we do. And so this is one of those verses that's very, very ancient, thousands of years old, that's telling us that the secret to living in the right narrative is to commit to what we set before our eyes. David says, it shall not cling to me. What we set before our eyes is going to cling to me. If we set something worthless before our eyes, especially if it's something we binge or watch in a habit kind of way, it will cling to us and it's going to rip us out of the right narrative. We're letting something come into our lives that's going to rip us out of the true narrative. But David says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. It shall not cling to me. Imagine this, because this is descriptive, poetic, imaginative, illustrative language. Something clinging to me, almost like a parasite, almost like something like a snake or something that's trying to use me as prey, feed off of me, not in my best interest. Something clinging to me, that I'm bringing in my own self by setting a worthless thing before my eyes. But I want to walk with integrity within my house. When I'm alone, nobody's watching. That's especially when I want to be committed to living with the integrity of who God is and the story I want my life to be in. When I worship God, I'm, I'm doing some, something's happening in my heart that's motivating me back into this story. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, I am, the I am, Yahweh. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Now, verse 5 starts to kind, a kind of language that's going to be uncomfortable to us. But again, this is David speaking as king, and I think this is David speaking as a, a Messiah figure, a Christ figure. This is as if Christ is saying these things about the restored earth. Verse 5 Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Now, again, the I am says I'm going to punish. I'm going to leave the guilty unpunished. Part of who he is in his steadfast love, infinite love and compassion and mercy is he also brings justice. Jesus is going to bring justice to the earth. He's going to remove evil and pain and suffering and death from the earth. And to do that means to remove the kind of evil that causes sin in our lives. And those who do that kind of thing. Now, again, the big secret is, the big mystery is, how does God remove evil from the earth when he comes and yet not remove us, but enable us to be a part of it? And the answer to that is his death and resurrection that allows us to reboot, rise in a resurrected body without sin, a body with glory, a body that doesn't die, 
a body that is able to look upon the glory of God and not be incinerated, a body that is righteous. So whoever slanders his neighbor secretly. Now, this is a big deal. We won't usually think of gossip and slander and, and talking bad about somebody as something that's that big of a deal, but this becomes a big deal to the Messiah. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. These words are ultimately the words of the Messiah when he comes to judge and establish this world that's resurrected and rebooted. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord, Yahweh, detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of Yahweh, evil is avoided. So this is saying the same things that we were looking at in Exodus 34 and that we're looking at now here in Psalm 101. There's this tension between God bringing justice and because of his love and his faithfulness, he's going to atone for sin. Worship reminds us to turn to God and turn away from sin because we see it as the destruction, as the stupidity, as the wrong narrative, the wrong story, unreality not living inside God's universe. Slander is not living inside the reality of God's universe. Pride is not living inside the reality of God's universe. Setting worthless thing before our eyes is not living within the reality of God's universe. In the last book of the Bible, when it's describing the new restored earth, it says in Revelation 21, 27, nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life is to have somebody whose sins are atoned for by the cross of Christ, is to be somebody who has been rebooted by resurrection, and therefore you're not going to be somebody who is shameful and deceitful and bring impurity into the restored creation. Jesus says in Matthew 5:48, "Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect." This is who we strive to be now because it's who we're going to be in the kingdom of God, in the restored earth. We're going to have resurrected bodies without sin, without impurity, without deceit. And so now even we strive to live consistently with that narrative of who we're going to be and therefore who we already are. In Christ. So, verse 6 I will look with favor on the faithful in the land. Now, this is a land that's been restored. This is the kingdom of God, the new earth, this restored, renewed earth. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. Paul says in Philippians 1.10, he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, living inside the glory of God, living in this bigger story of glory and beauty and radiance is to be blameless 
to have the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ. This is who we're trying to be now. We all know we're going to fall short. We all know that in these unresurrected bodies, there will always be a falling short of this, but it becomes the joy of our lives to grow more and more in purity and blamelessness and the fruits of righteousness, not self-righteousness, not being somebody who looks down on others in judgment. That's not blamelessness at all. That's just another form of sin and haughtiness and pride, but being people who have this sense of love because we're committed to blamelessness. We're not going to gossip about our neighbor. We're not going to speak deceitfully, secretly. We're not going to slander our neighbor. We're not going to be arrogant of heart, haughty in how we look at others. That's part of this psalm's commitment to blamelessness. So he says, the psalm says, he who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. If this is Jesus saying this, the one who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. We're thinking in terms of Revelation 22.3 says, no longer will there be any curse in this renewed earth. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants, that's ministers, his servants will serve him, minister to him. Now, that's not like we'll be slaves. Verse 4, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Now, night in the Bible is this metaphor for evil. There won't be any more evil. And the last part says, and they will reign forever and ever. So this is a kind of ministering where we reign with Christ forever and ever. We serve as co-heirs. We're serving him by ruling in his image, just like Genesis 1:26 says God created us to do. We'll be restored to that because of the coming of the Messiah. Verse 7 here in Psalm 101, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Again, this is the Jesus who comes, the Christ who comes, and this is a description of the, 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 the new creation, the restored creation. This is the narrative our life is in. And so Revelation 21.8, when it's describing the restored earth, on the negative side it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, this is a, a, a quick verse that's talking about this cryptic description of judgment has something to do with destruction. It has something to do with a second death. Burning sulfur, fiery lake, this is a destruction kind of thing. It's obviously a metaphor for those who will not be allowed to be on the restored earth. Now, whether that's a destruction, which I tend to think it is, I think a case can be made throughout the Bible that uh, hell really is eternal destruction. I think that's the language here of the fiery lake, the burning sulfur, the second death. They will not be part of this resurrection, this part of this renewed earth. So again, verse 7, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. This is going to be the description of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Last verse, Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of Yahweh. This is a description of when Christ comes and he brings justice because of his abounding love 
and mercy and faithfulness. He's going to remove evil from his world, from his creation. This is part of what this larger story is. This is what God is committed to doing because of his goodness. We live inside God's universe, and these are the principles of God's universe. He is a God without deceit. He is a God without impurity. He is committed to love. He is committed to service. He is committed to sacrifice. So he will destroy all the wicked from the land. There won't be any wicked there, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of Yahweh. This is the story that my life is in, and worshiping God through this psalm reminds me of the story I want to live in, I want to commit myself to. Again, It's not my righteousness that is allowing me to come into the presence of God. It's the righteousness of Jesus, and I get that righteousness when I turn to him for forgiveness, when I turn to him in repentance. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Remember, we were created in the image of God, and that image has been marred and deformed by sin and brokenness in the human condition. But because of Christ, who's giving us his glory, taking our sin and death upon himself, breaking through the other side of death, giving us his righteousness, giving us his resurrection, restoring us to glory, and restoring us to the fullness of his image, with ever-increasing glory. That's what's happening in our lives now, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. By the Spirit of God, He is transforming us to ever-increasing glory as He's conforming us to the glorious, His glorious image. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, as we worship God, this is what's happening. As we worship God, contemplating His glory, we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory into his image. Listen to this verse from the Apostle John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure." This is what it means to worship God. We, we want to keep ourselves in the right story. We want to purify ourselves, not because by purifying ourselves we make ourselves pure, but by purifying ourselves we live in the right story because he's, a, he's pure. Now, we know we can't purify ourselves in the strict sense. We can in the being transformed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of God sense. God does it in us when we turn to him. So we turn to him in worship. And so we say, oh God, I pronounce, I declare, I proclaim, I praise you for your steadfast love, steadfast love, your love that is steadfast upon me. You are committed to me. That's why you became human. Paul says, you loved me and gave yourself for me because Jesus died on the cross. That is the proof I need that your love for me is steadfast. You came for me. You came to restore glory in me. I proclaim your steadfast love and I proclaim your justice because I live inside your universe and you are bringing justice to this world. And I want to live a life that is living consistent with the coming justice of the Christ 
And so I proclaim your steadfast love, and I proclaim your justice, and I praise you, and I worship you for both. So I want to walk, God, I want to walk in the integrity of my heart. I want to walk within my house. I want to walk when nobody else is looking with integrity of heart. I don't want to set anything before my eyes that is worthless, that clings to me that grabs me out of the story, that feeds off of me, that makes me pray to its destruction, its false story, its fantasy, its unreality. I live inside your real universe, living in the real story of your steadfast love and your justice. I walk with integrity of heart within my house. I take seriously any slandering I've done of those who are my neighbor? What have I done to talk bad about them, to ruin their reputation in the mind and eyes of others, to say things about them in order to make myself look good or to be more entertaining in a conversation and stealing somebody's reputation for my own glory, for my own pride. I ask for forgiveness for all the ways I've talked about somebody that has ruined their image in other people's eyes so that I can increase my own image out of a haughty heart and out of a proud, arrogant heart. I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness for all the ways I've slandered others. I ask for your forgiveness for all the worthless things I've set before my eyes. I ask for your forgiveness in all the ways that I don't live with integrity of heart, living within the faithfulness of heart according to your steadfast love. Somehow I think when I'm alone, I don't have to, and yet I'm never alone. I'm always with you. I'm always in your presence. So forgive me for all the ways that I have practiced deceit. Deceit either protecting myself by a lie or deceit in the way I've talked about somebody else, represented somebody else. I want to walk with integrity of my speech, integrity of my heart. I don't want to utter lies. I want to utter love and grace and building people up and edifying them because this is the story I live in. I praise you for your steadfast love. I praise you that you are a God who is pure and blameless, without deceit, faithful in all your ways, true to every one of your word, all your word. You are true. You are faithful. You humbled yourself and became human to take my sin upon you and to give me resurrection And I, too, want to humble myself and sacrifice out of love for others in a way to give them resurrection, to speak life into them, to serve them, to minister to them so that life in some way comes into them more and more, that they would be transformed more and more with ever-increasing glory into your image through you using me in their lives to bring love, to bring joy, to bring light not to bring deceit, not to bring impurity, not to be somebody that's used to grab them out of the real story, but that I would be somebody who's used because of humility and integrity and blamelessness and purity, a commitment to these things, that I would speak life into people, speak light into people, minister to them in truth and humility, 
that I would serve this bigger story and help people be transformed into your image with ever-increasing glory. I pray that you would do that in my life, that you would help me contemplate your glory as the infinite I am, the one who is the source of all that exists, the one who is the giver of all life, the one who is always present with me, infinitely present with me. I am never alone, and that I would be ever increased, transformed into your image as I contemplate your glory, that I would be conformed to an ever increasing glory in my own life that is consistent with who you are and consistent with how you created me to reflect your glory and live in your love and speak your glory and speak your love into others, speak life into others. As you speak life into me by your word, as you speak life into me by your Holy Spirit, this is the story my life is in. This is the story I want my life to be in. And so I will sing, I will declare your steadfast love forever. I will declare your justice forever. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will set before my eyes no worthless thing. It shall not cling to me. I will not slander my neighbor secretly. I put away a haughty look and an arrogant heart. I want to minister to you even now by being committed to blamelessness, being committed to integrity, not practicing deceit, not uttering lies, but because I have the hope of now being a child of God and knowing what I will be will be something no eye has seen nor heart ever imagined that you will allow me to be where I will shine like the sun in the kingdom of my father. I don't know what that even means, but that's the story my life is in. That's the story I want to live in right now with Jesus as my king. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.